You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what is sure to be a heart-pounding, adrenaline-racing, excitement-fueled edition of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, and with me, as always, is the brains to my brawn, the looks to my charm, Mm-hmm. Mr. Doug Draper. Doug, you're with us from, uh, I guess we're going to disclose your undisclosed location. Yeah. Where, where, are you, where are you with us from today, Doug? We're, so we are truly coast to coast. I am uh, in Fresno, California this week, and it is uh, 6 a.m. here. So I got up and, and we're, we're getting it done. That is the importance of this show. Right. It doesn't matter right. really what time of day or night it is. The people need us, the people want us, and we are here. So. It does, doesn't matter what time it is where we are geographically. It doesn't matter how debilitating my hangover is. Uh, we will always make time for global trade this week. I'm yeah. excited. Uh, I'm excited. And and wh- where are you? Uh, what are you attending? So I'm, I got all excited for this when we started talking about it. So where yeah. are you out in beautiful Fresno? So long, uh, world world agriculture trade show. Um, it is uh, in a small town just south of Fresno and. We will have a, um, you know what, maybe, I don't know if we can do this, but maybe I'll do some video, right? A quick little selfie, some TikTok 10 seconds, and maybe we could throw that up next week. But yeah. I am, I'm stoked. I got these awesome pair of boots and I, I needed to get them polished up, but not too much. So at the Denver International Airport, phenomenal shoe shine, uh, Terminal B. And uh, I'm like, listen, I need them shine, but not too much. Don't, I don't want to be glass because I, I need to have some street cred there. So. I was going to bring a felt, uh, a cowboy hat. My wife, you know, put the kibosh on that. She said that was stupid. But anyway, I got to fit in. I I got my gear. Uh, Not too much, uh, but we'll see what's out there uh, in the ag business for transportation, logistics, and warehousing. I'll give you an update on Monday. I got to tell you, Doug, for two guys that talk a lot about technology, we we do love us some agriculture, man. Yeah. Um, We could talk about it all day. But hey, listen, it's Global Trade this week. And uh, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you, so why don't you kick it off with our first topic, my friend? Yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit about this. I think it was last week or the week before, but it caught my attention. Uh, more earnings reports coming out, and I'm not going to name any any companies because they make him looking for me, or I may misquote <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit. But the the underlying uh, theme for a handful of these companies is total tonnage is down, shipment weight is down piece count is down. And when I'm reading those, um, I'm like, yeah, it, that's that's like evident because we've talked about things moving the supply chain through the supply chain. And all you got to do is look at, you know, uh, at, at, at what connector, you know, ocean, um, warehousing, trucking, final mile, just look at the bubble. You know, it's like a, it's like a snake eating its dinner this massive bump, uh, uh, bubble and the pendulum swings, right? It's like that um, when you go on like a bungee cord or something or one of those rides in, in the amusement park, like you just get blown away and then a pendulum swings back and both of them are a little bit scary. Um, you know, the first one is, oh my God. The second one is, oh my God, here it comes because you can, you know what's going to happen. But it, you know, the, the big picture there, Pete, is we've talked about the economy runs on goods and services. Goods exploded when we were uh, locked up for COVID in our house. You know, I, I love to use Peloton as a, as a classic example of how that company just exploded. 
right? And whenever uh, COVID started transitioning uh, instead of a pandemic to an endemic, uh, that's the extent of my medical uh, knowledge right there, Pete. But um, people started doing services. So all the goods <clears throat> that were in route, in, in motion, you know, had to, had to go somewhere and people stopped buying. So if you want to talk about um, earnings for uh, warehousing um, uh, and, and distribution companies that have a box, um, they're crushing it um, with, uh, you know, full warehouses and, um, you know, it's a seller's market, so to speak. But the transportation entity is like, hey, why don't we have as much freight moving through? Why is the weight of the shipments not as great? Well, it's evident because the explosion of goods has come and gone. But the cool thing is that the resiliency uh, of our industry, um, they're figuring it out, right? They're adjusting. It just takes quarters or half a year or a year to rebalance with the amazing amount of assets that are out there. But the media loves to talk about it in, in increments of weeks and days. And so um, the, the, um, the catastrophe that seems to be underhand may be a little bit overblown. So. Hey, total tonnage down, shipment weight down, piece count down. It's inevitable based on the pendulum swing that we've seen. And uh, our uh, our companies and people we know, Pete, uh, they'll adjust. It, it'll be fine. And I think that we'll see a resetting uh, middle to end of this year. And, and all will be well. The sky is not falling, Chicken Little. I I'm not calling you Chicken Little, Pete. I'm just <laughs> saying it's an analogy. Yeah, yeah buddy. Uh, you know, the, the, the great thing about this business is we're we're always trying to find ways to make more profit on what we understand to be a changing environment of trade. So we're going to be in investing in automation. We invest in technology. We invest in better processes. We merge. We acquire small players. We're trying always. It's, it's a never-ending evolution of who we are. I'd love to give the example of the first time I saw container consolidation. It was... Um, a gentleman who I've got to believe would have been leading a Mensa group somewhere in China. And he had a chalkboard, man. Like he had a chalkboard. He had a chalkboard and he had a piece of chalk and he had a tape measure and he was figuring out how to load this 20 in Hong Kong. And there was all this freight in front of him and he's just like measuring stuff. And he had his chalkboard. And man, that container was like, oh, when he was done. And then they put another one in front of him and he was just rolling out these consolidations one after another. There was no PC in front of him. He never took out a calculator, it, but eventually that would get replaced by, you know, Lotus one, two, three, and then Excel. And then we would have made to suit specific pieces of software that were built by these individual forwarding companies. Um, and then eventually ones that were built for other companies who might not have the resources to make their own. And, and then the, the things that we see in ports, it just, it's, it's an ever evolving thing. So mm -hmm. I don't think I was ever more aware, right. Of, of just how, how uh, thirsty the media was for saying that the sky was falling on this business. Then when things were going super good and they kept trying to find something to rip it apart. Now, if you haven't noticed in almost all of these earnings calls, right, they, they're saying, but, but, yeah, yes, things are great, but, 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 but we want to, we want to just, you know, temper expectations next quarter probably won't be like this quarter. Things are slowing down, everyone. So if you're expecting us to absolutely destroy you again, settle down, right? Mm -hmm. the, the next year or two is going to be a little crazy for us. So, um, 
they're still going to make money. There's still going to be plenty of jobs in this industry, but there will be the corrections will continue as, mm -hmm. as you and I are seeing in this business and we'll continue to see. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right. Tossing it back to you on the other coast. What you got? Well, um, you know, I, I talked, I think it was last week about, or two weeks ago, about the lawsuits that were happening in this business. And uh, interesting request for investigation by a company on MSC through the Federal Maritime Commission. And you could just see this coming, right? So Mediterranean Shipping Company, MSC, love you guys. I do not take this as me throwing fuel on the fire, okay? <laughs> but they were... Um, They've been they've been accused by one particular shipper, and I guess there must have been enough where the FMC got engaged here of levying a fee for congestion uh, of a thousand dollars a container during a period of time when most people would look at the world around us and say, "What congestion?" Right? As you just mentioned, so many things that we would look at as a marker of volume appear to be decreasing. That being the case, why could you justify, how could you justify these congestion increases? And um, you look at that and you're like, yeah, okay. And then the, sh the shipping companies would say, well, we have taken many of our ships out of service in order to maintain a level of profitability because we have a financial standard. We don't want to lose money. And also, let's not forget that there are infrastructure instances that are leading us to issues of congestion, not the least of which is a West Coast port that none of you apparently want to use. We've got nothing to do with that, you know, but, but you've all decided that you want to use the East Coast ports. You want to use Savannah and Charleston and Tampa and New York and New Jersey. The list goes on and on. And you're, you're raising the cost of containers to those ports, A, thank you, right? And B, because you're putting so much more volume through it, yes, there's congestion. Well, those congestion fees just aren't for the East Coast, right? They're all over the place. So I can see the argument from both sides. But here's the question I've got, Doug. I'm looking into the future, right? We don't look at just now. First of all, I see more and more of these accusations being put towards the carriers. That's A, because I, I still firmly believe that there's a lot of companies that now that the power has shifted back to the buyers, you know, like any 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 market, the buyer's back in, in control. They're going to take their pound of flesh back. And I'm not sure that's the best decision, by the way. And then B, because the FMC is in a position of strength because of changes that have happened, they're going to have to use that, use that enforcement. They're going to have to create a degree of, of tension where they need to make the carriers aware that they have the ability to hold them accountable without going overboard. So I think they're going to try to find some position where it doesn't go overboard. They find some way to make it fair um, and, and try to make nice, nice between the carriers and the buyers. So I think we're going to see these things continue, but I don't think it's going to be some bloodbath against carriers. I think that reports of that are probably really overblown. Carriers have more power than people realize, and they still have to run a business and be profitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, to me, it sounds like you just uh, described the mafia, Pete, and oh, um, you spoke about that. Yes, yes. So here, this is when, when you... There's no uh, such thing as the mafia, Doug. There's no such yeah, thing as the mafia. I, I don't... <laughs> just go uh, to Little Italy and Boston, right, where cash is, is king. Where my family's from. Yeah, yes, there's no such thing as yeah. the mafia. My grandfather told me while he was in prison. There's no such thing as the mafia. 
Yeah. So the, the, the one word that I, when I was uh, checking this one out is that the uh, FMC said they need that the, the MSC and probably other steamship lines need to justify yes. the fee. Right? So that's a pretty open-ended uh, term. I can justify um, pretty much uh, anything, right? And so the, the justification is tell us why. It didn't say you have to stop it or the enforcement because they're not U.S.-based companies. They can do whatever the hell they want. So the justification will be there, which will give uh, uh, us a chance to ponder. And then they'll say, well, we, we don't think that justification is right. You need to change this and blah, blah, blah. And, and out of, uh, in my opinion, the, the need to maintain goodwill for future business opportunities, you know, they'll tweak it a little bit. But, but yeah. anyway, the, the, um, you know, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act that was kicked out last year when, when it was a seller's market. Um, yeah, you know, it can bring aware, awareness and justification, maybe the two words that would be most relevant to, to that. But, you know, it's going to be the steamship line's decision, whether they keep it or not. The FMC could bring awareness and ask him to justify. But uh, I, I agree with you. They're going to back off a little bit um, because of the reasons that you outlined. But there's not a whole lot the U.S. can do about to stop it. Um, and, and we'll see how it plays out. But I think the key to have future business and goodwill uh, for all in the future is the reason that things will pivot, not necessarily because of what the Ocean Shipping Reform Act had to say. You know, and I'll give you one more thing to ponder with this. And again, I think this is not necessarily cut and dry done. If congestion wasn't so bad, you could have used other carriers unless you had contracts and didn't have a choice. So, you know, when, when congestion is lower, you chose to put your cargo on that container ship. You could have paid liquidated damages and used someone else. And what if those liquidated damages would have been less? You know, I, I think that the, the, the shippers forget that there are choices out there. And if they're making this decision after the fact to go after these carriers, again, it smacks of a bit of revenge. But in a market where the buyer has more power, um, it makes it harder for me, even as a consumer of freight, right? I work for a freight forwarder. We purchase containers. I'm involved in the procurement process. It makes it a little more difficult for me not to bear in mind that these carriers are still a money-making enterprise and they still have an expectation by their suppliers, uh, pardon me, by their, their, their shareholders to make money off these things. Right. Um, so that brings us to halftime. Uh, and my least favorite part of the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Pete, I will, uh, I'll jump in here. So, mine is, I, you and I go off on tangents pretty frequently and have nothing to do with our industry, but this, my halftime is staying put. And um, they had, I'll have to think, you know, I, I should have thought of a fun little acronym or something for this, but it's oh, the. Oh, God. We're, I, I didn't, so you can you can thank for that. I, I should, right here, right now, I should have done something. But it is the worst traffic bottlenecks in the United States for 2022. Um, 300 locations across the U.S. were analyzed. GPS oh, data, customized applications. What's that? Do I get to guess, Doug? Uh, yeah, we, that is part that that's part of the deal. So um, we're, I'm just going to throw out some real brief highlights. So for the fifth year in a row. It's in your general vicinity, Pete. Um, it is in um, Fort Lee, New Jersey. So the question wow. is, do you know what the inter intersections are? No, I, I would have thought just major cities. I never would have thought Fort Lee, New Jersey. 
Yeah, I'm not even sure where that is, but there's a lot of trucks <laughs> driving through it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, it's uh, so it's I-95 and SR4, State Road 4, is is uh, the most congested intersection uh, for the fifth year in a row. So something must be going on out there. So if some of our listeners uh, can give us some statistics on Fort Lee, New Jersey. That'd be awesome. So here's a couple, and this rates, relates a little bit to my next topic, Pete. So as far as states go, uh, here's some uh, some things. So Texas, of the 100, they have 13 um, yeah. bottlenecks. Georgia, believe it or not, has nine. Uh, California and New York have seven each. Um, the great state, the centennial state of Colorado, we put three of them up there. For listeners in Colorado, I-25 and I-70, 270 and I-70, and I-25 and 270. So, um, and then the great state of New Hampshire um, has zero. Yeah. So you're in a very traffic-free zone. Um, yeah. No people bug. <clears throat> exactly. So this is, so they didn't, uh, uh, there was another report that they didn't say on this one, but the least congested road uh, in America. Do you know where that is? Um, maybe like Wyoming or Montana, maybe. You know what? You you got it. It is it is a road right. It, it's just on the other side from the Montana Wyoming border, and it's where uh, the Dutton family from Yellowstone chucks all the dead bodies. <laughs> the train station. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know. It's a big it's a big cliff, and uh, I'm watching Yellowstone right now. So. I don't know. They've chucked about six or seven bodies off this off this cliff, and they say specifically because there's no sheriff or no accountability. So it it's a it was a it was a side note in a special report, Pete, but that was brought out. So it's uh, on the Montana Wyoming border. It's an unnamed street, and it's uh, where all the dead bodies lie for uh, the Dutton family in the Yellowstone. Well, from from Pete Mento's version of worst traffic in in the damn country, uh, number one is going to be Chicago. It's awful. It doesn't matter what time of day. doesn't matter where I'm going. It's awful. Number two is going to be LA. Anytime I travel around LA, I'm just mystified at how bad it is out there. Um, uh, and then my friend, Mark Saxelby, friend of the show. I know mm -hmm. he watches every week. When I come to Denver, you guys will know where I'm talking about. There's a, there's a part of when we go downtown and we go past this dog food factory. Mm -hmm. And it just, it reeks of kibble. And it seems that we always hit traffic and I'm convinced Mark does this on purpose. Cause you know, it makes me wretch where we have to stop in the truck. Like we're almost at a dead stop and I have to sit there and inhale kibble fumes. Um, every time that we come there, um, yep. New York, New York is bad, but there are times of day that you can get around it. And because there are so many ways in and out of it, you can usually get around it. And Boston is just Boston, man. It, it's, the roads are so old and so absolutely pointless and illogical that we have really stupid, stupid traffic in Boston. And it's one of these things where New Englanders are both proud of the fact that it's so screwed up, but at the same time, it's a point of endless frustration. I, I don't know how else to put it, Doug. Mm, yeah. All right, Mr. Mento, yours is okay. a good one. So uh, let her rip. Yep. Today, for uh, we're we're recording this on Valentine's Day, so um, happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers out there! Big shout out to Mrs. Trig Geek, uh, to Amy, you are beautiful. I love you and thank you for endlessly putting up with my shenanigans. I'm a very fortunate man, um, Doug. I hope you sent the missus some flowers or did something before you left. I'm sure you forgot. 
Um, (laughs) and, uh, um, but but I'm bringing all this up because in my head, my wife right now, um, you know, in in my head, there's, I've got these three tiers of holidays. There's like the big holidays that everybody, everybody celebrates, you know, your, your religious holidays, your Christian, Jewish, and, you know, um, Muslim holidays, everybody celebrates because of their own ethnicities, the national holidays, like Thanksgiving, that we all know about. There's the sort of second tier holidays, which you're going to probably disagree with me here, but your St. Patrick's Day is your Halloween's, right? Um, Valentine's Day, certainly. You know, they're important. We all recognize them. We all celebrate them in our own special way. But um, to me, by the way, Mardi Gras falls into that. Uh, It's very regional. Um, And I'm leaving for Mardi Gras today. Mm. Um, So I'm very excited. Next Monday. I believe I'll be able to do the show. We'll see what kind of state I'm in, Doug. Just letting everybody know right now. It's Lundi Gras next Monday, the day before Mardi Gras. We'll see what kind of state I'm in. Uh, but the tier three holidays are the ones that I get a major kick out of. And I'm not talking about like National Golden Retriever Day or National Grilled Cheese Day. Those are silly. I'm talking about days that are actually on the calendar. So, um, you know, you have days like um, Arbor Day, Flag Day. Um, gosh, what were the other ones I put down there that were, that were on there? We have, um, Cinco de Mayo, excellent, excellent, vaguely racist, right? Holiday that we, um, you know, if you're in Texas and someone's, someone's like, Hey, we're going to celebrate tonight. We're going to go drink a whole bunch of beers and have tacos and queso and chips. They're like, yeah, it's like Monday, dude. Like, what's the big deal? It's like, like every night when we go out to dinner, like, Oh, but it's Cinco de Mayo. It's like, it's Cinco, whatever. We're just going out and have a Tex-Mex settle down. Um, But in new England, that's a big deal. My favorite third tier holiday is because of a dear friend of mine who's Hawaiian and it's King Kamehameha day, which is a holiday. And it celebrates the birthday of King Kamehameha, who was the unifier of the um, the islands of Hawaii, and he was their um, he was their king and their leader, a very venerated leader of um, of that island nation that we um, not to get too political stole from them. And as a native Native uh, American, I'm very happy to bring that up every opportunity I get. Um, but it's a beautiful holiday, and it celebrates all things all things culturally about that wonderful place and the wonderful people. And my friend Sean. Uh, the reason I'm telling this story is I had a holiday ugly sweater party when we lived in Virginia outside of DC. And he was the only person who did not wear an ugly sweater to our ugly sweater holiday party. So there was probably 40 people there. And my friend Sean is six foot eight Hawaiian. He's enormous and he stuck out. Well, he always sticks out, but he particularly stuck out that party. And I said, because you did not take part in my holiday party, you have to throw a holiday party for a relatively obscure party, a holiday. I don't care if it's Boxing Day or Arbor Day or what have you. And he said, well, I'm going to have a King Kamehameha Day party. And he called me a very derisive term for Caucasian. And I said, fine. Okay, whatever. And man, he's thrown one ever since. So ever since then, he throws this amazing party where he roasts a pig. He has hula dancers and fire dancers come. I mean, it's over the top, man. And he has all the Hawaiian foods and we learn how to hula. And, um, you know, we probably drink way too much and eat a lot of tropical fruits that must cost him a fortune, but it's wonderful. And, uh, he goes out of his way, way out of his way 
to get people into the culture of such a beautiful place. And I love it, dude. I absolutely love King Command Day. Mm-hmm. So Doug, do you have one? Like I know in Kansas, they take Shrove Tuesday, the Pancake Tuesday, pretty seriously out in Kansas. So it's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, <clears throat> there's two of them that came to thought. Obviously, Festivus, it's relatively <laughs> new, but it's a good one. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think people are actually, you know, it was uh, obviously originated Seinfeld and, and uh, it's classic. And I think people actually get the, uh, um, the Festivus poll and feats of strength. So that's kind of a joke. But one that my family celebrates, and I, I didn't really know what it meant, but um, St. Nicholas Day. And that's like December 6th. There were more presents in my house related to St. Nicholas Day than actually on on oh. Christmas. And, and I was like, St. Nicholas Day, okay. It's really celebrating the death of Santa Claus, um, for uh, lack of a better term. And we never told our kids that that's what it was for. So it's honoring um, the uh, the goodness and, and uh, of St. Nicholas and the things that he brought to this world. So anyway, death of Santa Claus, that's kind of one of our uh, family favorites. Sounds pretty I... rough, but that's it. Think we're going to have to start celebrating that on the show, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's bring it to the uh, next topic, my friend. Yeah, it's kind of related to the um, uh, the congestion thing, but uh, with with truck traffic and things of that nature. But the question is, we're now in a tale of two states, right? S T A T E S, um, and I'm talking about California and Texas, right? Uh, two largest states in the country for freight, and people are going in different directions. Uh, tenders in California, or excuse me, tenders in Texas uh, since January 2019 to the end of uh, Q4 uh, 2022, 42% higher as far as truck tenders um, moving in and out of the state of Texas. Meanwhile, while freight demand in California has dropped 17% from that same time period, so pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, and obviously COVID has a lot to do with that. We spoke about the congestion. Um on the West Coast ports and how, um, you know, the rise of the second tier ports, primarily on the East Coast and Houston has been a beneficiary. So some of that's COVID related. It'll it'll balance out. But once it's swung to one side and companies have realized they can accommodate their supply chain in other ports, uh, I don't think it's going to swing back as far. So uh, Texas, I think, will continue to grow. And the one thing that I think is part of it, but not a significant, well, maybe not significant. What's the right word? It's part, but I think it can, will continue to grow, is the, the nearshoring um, of what's going on. That concept has really only gained some momentum, at least in the media, in the last couple of years with COVID. There is truth to that. Nearshoring is coming back. But um, the impact is not felt now. It, it's in the future. But uh, there are companies that have the ability to pivot their supply chain quickly, and they are taking advantage of, uh, of sourcing more specifically into Mexico. We've, we've talked about that. Uh, a handful of times. So um, yes, there's some impact with the nearshoring. It will continue to be more impactful. Um, but the big picture, Pete, is California is losing to Texas. Um, California's loss is Texas's gain. And uh, I don't think that's going to uh, shift back, uh, in my opinion, really at any time. You know, it's the Wild West in Texas, baby. You don't need motorcycle helmets and you can basically um, do what you need to do and move trucks through there quickly. So um yeah, let's rock and roll. Texas is going to continue to grow. California is going to stumble a little bit. I don't think that trend is going to uh, to switch anytime soon. And actually, I, I don't even know. I just I threw that out. I would assume that 
helmets are optional in the state of Texas. Yeah, yeah there is no Texas. There is no helmet law in Texas, Doug. Um, and I, I, yeah, there are no, there are no helmet laws in Texas. I, I, I can say that with firsthand knowledge and I'm a proud Texan, although yeah. I have no intention of ever living there again. Um, it's just not for me. It's too damn hot. Uh, but one thing I'll add to that, I think that there's going to be something that makes it even bigger, Doug. And that's with hmm. the coming elections. There's a chance, there's a chance that it's actually going to get even more a bigger contributing factor to what you just talked about, bud, is if we have a change in leadership in the White House, I think that given what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, you're going to see it go even bigger. And the reason for that is I think you're going to see a, a continuation of the growth of the oil sands up in, in Canada. You're going to see um, a return to fracking and a reinvigoration and a reimagination of, um, of oil exploration in the United States. And with that, you're going to see up the middle of the country. So going, you know, um, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, all the way up through the middle of the country, all the way up through most of Canada, you're going to see that fracking and all those materials, all the, everything from sand and, um, all that equipment. It moves by truck and it moves by intermodal and it moved, they move a lot of it. So you're going to see even more of that stuff moving up and down that corridor all the way up through Calgary and Alberta, Winnipeg. And, and, um, man, I think it's just going to be, if we have a change in attitude about that, you're going to see it just blow it. I mean, blow up is a really bad bird, <laughs> but you're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to see, you're going to see even more of it happening going in both directions because then it's going to be coming down to Texas mm -hmm. and um, Louisiana for refining, which you'll also see some of that coming to California, but not nearly as much. So I think you're just going to see even more of it if we have a change in leadership, which would cause a change in attitude towards exploration and, um, and, and movement of that stuff. So Doug, I think you're, you're spot on. I think there's a chance it actually gets even crazier. Yeah. Well, you think of the ac uh, acquisition or, or, Potential acquisition because it's still in the in the in the works is the you know Kansas City Southern Railroad and the, the Canadians that are uh, working to purchase that, which validates your your comments yeah. right there. So anyway, all right, bring us home. Yeah. Bring you us know, home. My last one's my last one's quick, but it's in conjunction to what you just said, pal. So um, the the West Coast is still does not have a labor agreement, and at some point, labor and management need to realize that they could be losing. You know, you, you could be losing your, your hold of a good thing. A significant part of the American supply chain was built on a dependency of the West Coast, of that shorter route on the Pacific, on the shorter route on the Pacific from China to the West Coast. And then so much of our supply chain, as I've mentioned so many times on the show, is built with a, a dedicated line coming in from the West Coast, all those West Coast ports. Um, into supply chains and into distribution from the West Coast into the rest of the country, into the middle of the country where those distribution points are throughout everywhere. And there are people who need to realize that many of us are beginning to, to focus on not just using the East Coast as a stopgap, but becoming dependent on it and realizing that it's not just a viable plan B, it's a viable supply chain. And if things don't change, they may lose market share for good. Is that going to happen? I'm talking to people that are making it a permanent decision. They're making it a permanent decision. Um, not a lot of people, but some people. 
So they need to come to a decision soon where this, I think, is going to force labor. It's coming back into management's hands. They're losing the leverage on the labor side right now, and they need to make a decision, bud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is one of the factors. Um, it is not the factor, in my Agreed. opinion. And if you are um, a C-level individual in a boardroom and you're talking to uh, top down, you know, your VPs and directors and stuff, you're saying never again are we going to be in the supply chain bottleneck. So come up with, um, you know, al- alternative plans. And that's easily justified and, 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 uh, and validated by using the second tier ports that we've spoken about. So um, the labor situation is another red flag. And C-suite and leaders of companies are going to be like, you know, we need to diversify. Um, I think nearshoring is part of that, too. So I think the labor is of note, but uh, I don't think it is the reason that people are starting to flip. It's part of the entire recipe and the ingredients that come into it that uh, uh, will will be here to stay, as you said. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, that is truly a bi-coastal if that's the right word, we're on either side of the coast. I can't see the ocean from where I am, right? There's still a lot of agriculture and farming that I got to hop, hop over. But if you are with us um, down in New Orleans during your uh, right before Fat Tuesday, I'll give you guys an update on the uh, World Ag um, uh, Festival. I got my boots wait, buddy. and I'm ready to, uh, yeah, trudge through some uh, some farmland. So um, beyond wait, that, I just want to thank our listeners Joining us on uh, Global Trade this week, of course, Cap Logistics and Keenan pushing the buttons uh, makes this thing all happen. So uh, I think that's it. We'll call it a wrap, Pete. See you, buddy. Happy Mardi Gras. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening.